every now and again, I like to come back to a topic that I hope I'm presenting in a way that is seen as a strong but positive encouragement to study uh, the Word of God on a particular subject. We study the Scriptures on the whole, right? We look at all of what the Scriptures have to say about lots and lots of topics. But there is one topic that oftentimes is sort of relegated to a lesser status. Sometimes it's outright uh, avoided among believers, um, and that is the subject of biblical prophecy. And again, every so often I like to come back around to this topic, uh, in, in, in specifically the topic of encouraging believers to study biblical prophecy. Um, there's lots of reasons why people avoid it. Uh, oftentimes it's because it's, it's associated with people screaming that the sky is falling and, and, and there's sort of this kind of mental picture of extremists with, you know, megaphones and signs that the world is ending tomorrow and all this kind of thing. Um, I would suggest that rather than avoid studying prophecy because of those kinds of images in our minds, or even the fear of being associated with that kind of thing, I think the better thing is to study the scripture all the more fully on this subject to come to the best understanding we can about the topic. Now, the reason I say that is actually, uh, there's really a couple of reasons why I say that, but the first one's very, very simple. And it's because prophecy is described, discussed, expounded upon, explained, revealed in Scripture. And in the same way that we would study any topic in the Bible, we should study this one. Uh, why would we choose to avoid a topic that God spends a lot of time, the Holy Spirit spends a lot of time inspiring and giving us uh, so much regarding prophecy. Now, in fairness, just so we understand what we're talking about here, um, we've probably all heard the expression that somewhere between 25 and 30% of the scripture is devoted to the topic of prophecy. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that the scripture says about prophecy is necessarily eschatological in nature, or it does not necessarily deal specifically with last things or end times prophecy, as we usually call it. There's other things that that are prophetic in nature as well. For example, the first coming of Christ. We talk a lot about the second coming of Christ, but there's a lot of prophecy in regard to the first coming of Christ. And we study those. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus admonished the religious leaders of his day for not recognizing his first coming because the scriptures spoke about his first coming. And they, of all people, should have been well aware of what the scripture said about Messiah, who he was, when he would appear, literally to the day he would appear riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of both Daniel chapter 9 and also Zechariah chapter 9 as well. And so they were sort of indicted for not recognizing these things. As a matter of fact, Luke uh, 19, same thing, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, the whole idea of the desire to have gathered them together like a mother with her chicks, but you would not. And now judgment is going to come upon them because they did not recognize this their day. So prophecy regarding Jesus' first coming was very, very important, and a lot was riding on it. I would suggest that prophecy about his second coming is equally important. We should recognize that the scriptures do speak to these things. When we talk about the millennial kingdom, when we talk about the promise of Christ's coming the second time to establish his kingdom, and even if you don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament studying that, certainly you are well aware of a passage that we've been quoting quite a bit out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a direct uh, plea for God to establish the kingdom here on earth and to bring to an end all others. 
um, and for his will to be done here, just like it's done in heaven. And so there's a strong encouragement to know and to understand biblical prophecy. As a matter of fact, one more. I'll invite you to turn with me to um, Matthew 24. Um, Matthew 24 is Jesus' own exposition about the last things uh, leading up to his return. And in Matthew 24, 15, this is just kind of in the midst of the discussion, but you'll notice he says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And he goes on and describes other things that they should do and other things that they will see in those days. And so um, there is this mention of an event called the abomination of desolation. Now, we've spoken about this in previous episodes. We'll no doubt speak about it often again. But that is a term that comes out of the book of Daniel. And Jesus says, when you see that event that is yet future happen, respond to it. In other words, your lives will depend on it. Uh, in many respects, to the Jews he was talking to there. The Jews in the times when this would ultimately happen uh, would have would want to take heed to what Jesus had to say. Now, that event is yet future even today. That, that event hasn't happened yet. And so we know we're looking forward to it. Now, that's something we know about prophecy, which comes through some study in that. But I want to just park here, uh, really just kind of, I should say, move into what I want to talk about next by first looking at what Jesus said there in verse 15. Let the reader understand. In other words, the intention is that those who hear these things, those who read these things, which, by the way, now includes you if you've never read that before, you now have a responsibility to do as Jesus said and to understand these things. But that therein lies really the simplicity of, of the first reason why we study end times prophecy, because the Bible has end times prophecy in it, because it explains things that are going to happen in advance. And this is how God validates that he is, in fact, the Lord and that he is God and he's outside of time and space. And he can speak about events that are going to take place from outside at his vantage point. This is an evidence for his existence and such. The Bible is replete with this kind of thing so that we will know that God has spoken. And so the Bible talks about prophecy. So that's one of the reasons why we should study it. It's simply in Scripture. If we would choose to avoid any topic, or if we would choose not to avoid any other topic in Scripture, we should not choose to avoid this one. Now, I grant that, you know, there are things within the realm of prophecy, within the the subject, the genre of apocalyptic writing in that, that can be challenging to understand. And by virtue of the fact that some of these things have yet to happen, it is sometimes challenging to sort of piece together what the Bible says about what's going to happen in the future. It's not its not that we don't have enough to go on to get a good sense, but we also want to approach it with a certain amount of humility to recognize that as things unfold, it may help us understand a little bit better what the scriptures have to say about those events. Um, so that being said, we study it because it's there. It's like, why do you climb the mountain? Because it's there. Why do you study biblical prophecy? Because the Bible speaks about prophecy. And we ought not feel like we have uh, really the place to decide that some things are just not to be studied. No, we should all do that. As pastors, we should teach these things from our pulpits. We should help our people to be informed about these things, which, by the way, leads us to the second reason why we study biblical prophecy, because it is part of discipleship of the believer. 
Now, I have a very uh, a strong desire to see our ministry at Calvary Chapel Franklin, the podcast outreach, uh, anything that we do really uh, in terms of our, our, our mission as a church is all about equipping people for a lifetime of knowing, loving, and following Jesus, essentially discipleship. And so why do I consider teaching on biblical prophecy to be part of discipleship? Because Paul did. And if that sounds like a strong statement, I'll invite you to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're also going to look for a moment at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, we've expounded on these passages before, and again, we'll, we'll no doubt come back to them again. But I just want to speak about the importance of teaching biblical prophecy and as young believers learning biblical prophecy, even at a, at a young uh, point in your in your relationship with Christ. In chapter 5, I'm going to read the first 11 verses here. Again, we're not going to go into a, a, a big teaching on the topic, but uh, on this passage, but I do want to point out something. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, one of the reasons why Paul can say that is because, as we'll see in a moment, he himself taught them about these things. But as he taught them the teachings that Jesus shared, Jesus himself spoke about these things. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, just quickly, by way of example, let's turn to Luke chapter 17 for a minute. And um, uh, we'll look here at chapter 17, uh, looking at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when uh, Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let one who's on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. And he goes on to say, remember Lot's wife. And he goes on to talk about, you know, seeking to preserve your life and all these kinds of things. Um, but notice here, he describes a time that is going to come suddenly upon those who are not ready for it. Now, when we ultimately look at um, um, elsewhere in, uh, uh, sorry, the little thing popped up on my phone. When we look at uh, what the scriptures have to say about those days, when we look at Revelation, we look at Matthew 24 or Luke 21, later Jesus talks about some of these things. Um, there is this sense that the world is going to be trying to maintain a certain status quo, but it's going to be completely ripped away uh, as Jesus ultimately brings the judgments on the earth that will ultimately uh, culminate in his return and that kind of thing. So they know about this back in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. We see that described in Matthew 24 and throughout the book of Revelation. But you, verse 4, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. We see that word twice there, the idea of being aware of what's going on. 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the, the hope of salvation, sort of a prototypical um, um, armor of God discussion that Paul will describe later in Galatians. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Um, now, we'll go to Second Thessalonians in a second here, too. But notice that Paul's admonition is that they would be aware of their circumstances and that they also would live in anticipation. They would be sober. They would be looking. They would be watching for what's going on here in the anticipation of Christ's coming. Now, Paul does in chapter 4 speak about an event called the rapture, which is a separate and previous event to the second coming of Christ, because here in the rapture, the church is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. In the second coming, Jesus comes back to the earth and establishes his kingdom after he puts down the Antichrist and such. So there are two different events, but there is this sense of watching, of being aware, of being conscious and anticipated uh, anticipating, uh, you know, uh, awareness of your circumstances as to what is happening. Well, if you don't understand or if you don't spend time considering what the Bible has to say about those days, then you're very likely not going to be looking for them. You're not going to be paying attention to what's going on around you. But the Bible encourages us to watch. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that the Bible speaks very, very straightforwardly about the wrongness of saying my master delays his coming. Uh, if you are of the belief that Jesus isn't coming for a thousand years, that attitude is one that is strongly discouraged in Scripture. Uh, through Jesus' parables, through Paul's writings, the intent is that we be looking because he might come for us right now. Uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first uh, uh, and, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself uh, against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In other words, if you look at Acts 17, when Paul plants the church in Thessalonica, he spends about three Sabbaths with them before he is driven out of town by uh, the Judaizers and such. But in that three-week period of time, over that course of three Sabbaths, or about three weeks, he taught them about what it meant to follow Jesus. He taught them doctrine. He taught them all kinds of things, including last things. So it is important that we see that and, and sort of take our cue from that, I believe. I think that if Paul thought it was important enough to tell those believers in the first century, uh, which leads me to believe Paul was expecting Christ to return sometime in the very, very soon near future, and now that we're this far from that point, we should be anticipating all the more greatly, not less, but more. Uh, but that is, uh, the, he told them about these things while he was with them for a brief time. He felt it was important to teach them about eschatology. As a matter of fact, Paul gives us some of the most in-depth teaching on Antichrist, the rapture, the coming of Christ, the wrath of God, those kinds of things, second really only to the book of Revelation and Jesus' own teaching in uh, Matthew 24, Luke uh, 21, uh, Mark uh, uh, 13. Um, so 
you know, it, it's ingrained with all of that. It, it forms a strong set of teaching on last things uh, in the New Testament. And of course, we then bring in all of the things in the Old Testament, whether it's Daniel or it's Zechariah or it's Isaiah or it's anybody who speaks of last things uh, in the Old Testament. Um, for us to sort of set that aside is to do ourselves a disservice and frankly to dishonor the word of God. I think it becomes important for us to not pick and choose what things we spend time studying and what things we don't. Again, we understand that some things are difficult to piece together, but that doesn't mean we run away from them. It means we dig in more. Now, of course, this is the role of teachers. We have to assume that mantle and do that hard work. But in doing that work and sharing these things with our people, whether it's in our churches or uh, outreaches like this or something like that, we, we want to make sure we're encouraging others to embrace that as well. In other words, it shouldn't just be the, the role of the minister, quote unquote, to, to unpack these things, but the average believer, the average child of God, the normal everyday Christian should be able to open up their Bible on any given time and begin to look at those things as part of our devotional life, part of our study life. We want to know what God has to say about last things. Um, now, I will say, having said all of that, it is possible to get so bent on last things that we sort of sacrifice everything else. And this becomes sort of the, you know, all or nothing kind of mindset. I would strongly discourage that kind of a mindset because on the one hand, we study all of scripture, including prophecy, so that we might understand prophecy. But the end of prophecy, or as, as it says in Revelation, the spirit of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, right? In other words, prophecy is not only something that is given by him, but it is also something that speaks of him. Even as he told the Pharisees, uh, you study the scriptures because it is in them. You think you have eternal life, but it is they that speak of me. So I say that to say this, and this is where I'll close on my encouragement to study biblical prophecy. Understand biblical prophecy because it helps us understand where we are on the timeline. We can't just read into every event that happens and assume that means the rapture is going to happen tomorrow. I hope it happens sooner, by the way. I hope it happens before I sign off right here. Uh, and I believe it could. I'm an absolute imminent rapture kind of a person. Um, and But that being said, we sometimes try to fit everything happening into something, uh, into what the scriptures say. I would say we go the other way. We look at what scripture says and look and see if that lines up with it out there or not. But that being said, we study it so that we know where we are. Secondly, and I would suggest even more importantly, we study all of Scripture so that we might know the God of Scripture. If Jesus said that all the Scripture speaks of him, then we want to study all the Scripture so that when we finally do see him, and this is the end of prophecy, right? This is the whole purpose, is that he would accomplish his purposes and we would see him. We study scripture that we might know him, that he would not be a stranger on the day that we meet him. And so we don't necessarily go all the way down the road of making prophecy the only thing that matters in our Bible study, but we also don't go the other way where we set it aside as if it were not important. It is it is a part of our discipleship as believers. Paul thought so with this young church in Thessalonica. Jesus thought so as he taught his disciples even prior to the cross. Um, it's clearly the Holy Spirit thinks so because we have so much dedicated in Scripture to not just prophecy, but even within that 30% or so, a lot is devoted to last day's prophecy. The entire book of Revelation 
most all of Daniel. Uh, Zechariah speaks heavily about it. Even the Millennial Kingdom, uh, Zechariah speaks about in, in pretty uh, sweet detail uh, in his prophecy. Um, we see it in Joel. We see it in all over the place. And so, you know, to to avoid it is to choose to avoid huge swaths of Scripture. And you wouldn't really read any book and just decide to leave chapters out of it and expect to understand the story. No, the Bible is given to us in its entirety, and every topic is intrinsic to the unfolded revelation of God in Scripture. And so we do ourselves a great service when we study it, and we do ourselves a tremendous disservice when we don't. So let me encourage you um, to put last things first, if you will. Not the ultimate priority in all of your study, but don't set it on the back burner. Don't think of of prophecy as something that is um, secondary, unimportant. Hey, it's just about preaching the gospel. Well, you know, part of the gospel is attached to our uh, ultimately seeing the promises of God fulfilled in his kingdom. The minute you talk about Jesus coming back, you're talking about something that is intrinsic to the purpose and person of Christ, which is by definition um, just, you know, an important, a uh, central important feature of our study of scripture. So yes, I mean, if someone could hear the book of Revelation or hear the, or hear the, literally speaking the gospel where they get saved, sure. But in terms of our discipleship, it shouldn't be an either or. It should be all of it. So let me just end on that note. Father, we thank you for giving us all of your word. We thank you for even the hard things that can be difficult to understand, but you have given them to us that we might understand. We thank you that the Holy Spirit not only has inspired the scripture, but also will help us understand them. So we pray that he would take uh, just that rightful place in our Bible study, in our prayer time, in our desire to dig deeply into what you've said and understand it. We pray that, Father, we would seek to see Jesus in all of these things, that we would understand that he wasn't kidding when he said all the scripture speaks of him. Father, help us to see that. And in knowing that that's the case, help us not to avoid any part of it, but to to allow ourselves uh, and not restrict ourselves from studying all of it. We thank you for the breathtaking sweep of your revelation in Scripture. And uh, we would just ask that by, again, your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would lead us into a deeper desire and a deeper knowledge to know your word and to know you as a result of it all the better. So we thank you, Father. We love you, praise you, and ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.